0: Hey everyone, thanks so much for checking out our review of Magnetic Rose. This is a very special episode for us, so we're going to keep the intro short. Just want to mention that this episode is coming out on September the 30th of 2022, and if you're listening to it the day it comes out, today is the last day that our coffee is on sale with Rootless Coffee. We've been running a collaboration coffee blend for the month of September 2022, and that's coming to an end. So if you'd like to check it out, head over to rootlesscoffee.com. That's r-o-o-t-l-e-s-s-c-o-f-f-e-e.com click on the collaborations link and you'll see the blue Scary Stuff podcast logo and that's our coffee. But even if you missed the window for our collaboration coffee blend, if you haven't tried Rootless Coffee yet, head over to rootlesscoffee.com and give one of their other roasts a try. We've mentioned before, they're my go-to coffee company and they're terrific folks. So please check them out if you haven't already. As always, thank you so much for your support. And we really hope you enjoy this review of Magnetic Rose with special guests Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski on this special episode of Scary Stuff. Hello, hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. This is Eric Dellinger, joined by co-host Nick Leamy. Hey, everybody, how you doing? And Jacob Jones-Goldstein. Hey, everybody. And this is exciting. We are doing our very first anime. Fun stuff. Yeah, probably not the last, but certainly one of the more interesting ones. Very much so. So this is, you probably saw it on the episode title, but yeah, we are doing Magnetic Rose, which is technically not a freestanding thing. It has its own entry on Letterboxd, though, but it is part of an anthology film called Katsuhiro Otomo's Memories and it's all adaptations of manga stories by Katsuhiro Otomo and he does one of the segments himself in this anthology and Magnetic Rose comprises the first 45 minutes of it and as of this recording it's on Tubi so if you want to check it out which as always we're for spoiler podcast but also we're going to tell you to see this it's only 45 minutes and it's available on Tubi for free so absolutely go check it out it's also hard to spoil like It's,
1: you know, a tomo. So even if, you know, you know what's happening, you don't really know what's happening or what's going to happen or what's
0: up or down. So, you know. Yeah. Well, it's particularly well timed, too, because since we recorded this and I'll get into the time that we recorded the what you're about to hear here in a second. But in the intervening time, one of the things that's happened is Perfect Blue, which is Satoshi Kon's big directorial debut, is now available on Shudder. And if you're not familiar with Magnetic Rose, we talk about it in the bulk of the review that Satoshi Kon wrote the screenplay for this segment of Memories. So yeah, so if you haven't seen Perfect Blue, absolutely go check it out on Shudder. So I mentioned the time element of it real quick. So what you're about to hear, our segment talking to two amazing guests, is something we recorded like two months ago. It was like right before we ended up needing to take some time off. I specifically needed to take some time off. Normally, I wouldn't necessarily mention it, but there's two reasons I'm mentioning it. A there is a specific reference to the day we're recording it because Jake references Jim Rash's birthday. So you can decidedly find out the exact day we recorded that conversation. Uh, And two, we also reference at the time that there was a somewhat nebulous release date for Hellraiser. Now we have a firm date for that. That's going to be out on October the 7th, which is going to be one week from the day this comes out. I'm so excited. I am so stupid excited. No, same. Yeah. I mean,
1: I haven't seen the Hellraisers, but I'm, just excited because ben and luke are cool and
0: eventually we're going to do the hellraisers
2: oh yes we are
0: oh yeah we're excited for it and the conversation you're about to hear like i mentioned we recorded it before we've been i've mentioned this time and time again on the pod we've been so blessed with guests but this is a really fabulous discussion i'll mention a couple things up front one of the reasons i mentioned the time thing is just to point out that it was recorded in the past also that was recorded in brighter days halcyon days before the Constantine episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so now, when our episode t- and the signatures are going to be BC for before Constantine. So this is technically an AC episode, but the bulk of it was recorded BC. That's,
1: that's interesting because, yeah, back when, when we recorded that, I still talked to my brother. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> I miss you having a brother. Me too. I mean, Jer's a good guy. Who?
2: Our guest for that episode had some valid points.
1: (laughs) I disagree. (laughs) You know, if you want a little more context on what day we're recording this, currently the Yankees and Red Sox are in a rain delay. And if it comes back, Aaron Judge will be up with the opportunity to hit his 61st home run. So if any of you people are sports fans, that's the day we're recording this. Hopefully the day Aaron Judge hits his 61st home run, but it's not looking too good with the rain delay.
2: You know, we should actually make a Twitter poll at some point. Hey, podcast fans, how many of you out there are sports listeners? I'd be really curious to see how many of your uh, basketball friends you brought into this, actually. that'd be
1: Oh, yeah. man, I'm still working on it. I <laughs> <dropped my podcast. laughs> So I recently began supporting a and oh, I'm going to tweet this out when we air this episode. I recently began uh, supporting on Patreon a Sixers podcast that I very much enjoy called, you know, ball. On Patreon and everybody should If you, you know, I, I always think you should support the podcast And the stuff you enjoy uh, And he, they started a discord and because I'm a supporter I get to be in the discord so I've been chatting with them And I've dropped this link six times So far at least. <laughs> <laughs> Because they started a movie one They started talking about horror movies And I was like fucking Mr. Miyagi Just. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them was like You have a podcast? And I'm like yes Yes I do And it's costing me $5 a month to tell you that
3: so. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Which is of course not why I'm on there. I, I genuinely like the uh
0: Again, today is the last day. Our coffee is on sale at, <laughs> at rulerscoffee.com
1: <laughs> Help fund our guerrilla efforts to get our podcast out there. But no, I, I in fact I just today dropped our Matt Johnson thing episode because oh, for the Sixers saw. fans. Oh, oh I love that episode. That's you know, Matt Johnson compares John Carpenter to Alan Iverson, and if it's gonna hook anybody, that's the way to do it. So I'm trying. I don't know if we have any Yankee fans. I mean, my brother that I used to have technically, but he's not going to listen to this one because he's not on it. So it doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Matt Johnson chat was fabulous. And this conversation you're about to hear is terrific. I'll just mention a couple things before we get rolling on it. One is... I apologize in advance for some sporadic audio hiccups and a little bit of distortion you're going to hear. It's not bad. We had echo cancellation enabled. And like I said, for the most part, it's fine. But every now and again, there's a little bit of audio that drops out. So that's why. And again, it's a full spoiler thing. Also, this conversation goes into some interesting anime directions. So just a heads up that the conversation gets kind of adult. Yeah. What other podcasts can have the preface of this episode might be more risque than our Hocus Pocus episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we definitely plumbed the depths of the anime spectrum.
1: <laughs> I mean, come on. How many other podcasts can talk about having the, the anime equivalent of woods porn? Eric didn't even know what to say to that.
0: He just was like, I hate you.
3: <laughs> no, I,
0: I can't think of a better lead into the discussion. Let's get to it. All righty. I am very excited to bring on our next set of special guests for this episode of the podcast as screenwriters. They've worked on the feature films Siren, Stephanie, Super Dark Times, The Night House, for which they just won a Fangoria Chainsaw Award. Hey. And they're working on the upcoming Hellraiser movie from Nighthouse director David Butler. Yes! Joy. and more appropriately for this episode alongside their friend kevin phillips they're the host of the sync ratios podcast on neogenesis evangelion so i am delighted to welcome to the pod ben collins and luke Pietrowski. yeah
4: yeah hey guys nice nice to be this is ben speaking by the way we should probably identify our voices just in case and this is
5: this is luke yeah this
0: is our first time of two guests so yeah we should probably do samples so we don't have the the rustic films commentary dilemma of (sighs) Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead saying that they sound
4: alike so I don't being able to tell them apart. We we do. Luke try to sound different.
6: It <laughs> can't do it on
4: Somebody could affect an English <laughs> accent that would really help. We could we can try. So wait, wait, wait we didn't get Luke's voice. So what, do you, what that say?
5: Well, here's and here's my voice check. This is Luke's voice check. So now Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to be here guys. I mean, we definitely uh, are excited to talk to, about, you know, everything but when before on micah though you guys were just telling us you were friends for like a really long time i don't know it seems like it was something worth mentioning i was excited to hear that yeah that as of now 20 years uh in september it's such a beautiful thing
5: i love that you know the month that's hardcore
4: <laughs> it's what i do <laughs> <laughs> Although I wonder, Luke, it might be September for us, too, because I think we would have met at the beginning of the school year. It's probably somewhere around there, because I think the first time we met would have been fall of 99, your senior year, my freshman year. Because was, If you guys know, the first time we met was Luke was wearing an Evil Dead t-shirt at high school nice (laughs) and like you know there's only gonna be one guy in Fayetteville Georgia in 1999 wearing evil dead teachers so you gotta you know be friends with that guy you gotta gotta say that's a cool shirt because you know I mean how many times old are you gonna hear it that day and you know eventually we became friends I
5: still have that shirt by the way it's still upstairs do you yeah oh nice Is
4: is it still in wearable condition?
5: It is, but it is also extra large because in high school, for some reason, I did not need an extra large, but I would wear extra large t-shirts, and so while I there. while I had the body for, like, tight t-shirts, I just did not take advantage of the situation, and so... <laughs> it was
1: the style at the time. It was the 90s. Things were yeah. happening, you know? It's, it's like, I, I'm, I'm
4: feeling seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it looked great at the time, but I do remember that it was large, to, like, an extra large t-shirt. I do remember that, actually.
0: Somewhere buried in this closet to my left is a nerd Logo T-shirt that I used to wear in college.
4: I also
5: had one of those. Oh, nice! Also, extra large. <laughs> <laughs> I still have that one too.
0: No, mine was was much bigger than that. But to mention uh, on the the Ava topic, and, and obviously, well, we're big fans of the work you've done in movies. But I wanted to mention at the top too that. I first listened to the Sync Ratios podcast. I think it was around like October, November last year was when I saw in one of your profiles on Twitter that you had a podcast. And I was so excited to see it because I was... Evangelion was a big series for me in my kind of anime infancy, I guess. When I started watching it, there were only three VHS tapes out at the time. Oh,
4: wow. So oh, gee, damn. You
0: were ground floor. It would have been like... 1996
4: early Damn. hell yes dude yeah you beat us that's great yeah yeah
0: so um and like it was a whole bunch of odd stuff like I, my first model kit that i ever got from my local comic shop was an ava unit one nice wow. we were just talking about my college days i had three posters on my dorm wall and one of them was the ava wall scroll from death and rebirth where they used for the the manga entertainment death and rebirth dvd cover but hell
5: yeah! It, which one was that? Was that with the, the the Star Wars like group shot of everybody? Yeah,
0: it's yeah, it's group shot of Shinji Rei, Asuka, and Karu, and then it's got like the red crucifix in the background. It's okay. kind of like to the side, catty corner. Yes. yeah. Yeah, okay. it, it was yeah. that a teaser poster for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and a right. poster for John Woo's A Better Tomorrow. So just nice. well, hell
6: yeah,
4: very cool. All
6: cool shit.
5: Yes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Luke. Do you you had you had a Ray Wall scroll? I think for a while, right? Did I make that up?
5: I have a Ray Wall scroll from the Vengeance of Excalibur, which was the only. I think I talked about this on Sync Ratios. It was like the only anime store around in where I lived, anyway, at the time. That's where I got my Nerve T shirt as well. I had. The, I got the. I still have that wall scroll too, and it's in good condition. It was a cool looking wall scroll. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice! No, it
4: was in your apartment for years. It was yeah. It was always a fixture.
5: Yeah, t- <laughs> we skyped with Timo Cajanto, uh oh, nice. on something, and he he called me out on it. It was like, yeah, <laughs> he,
3: he
5: still makes fun of me for like being a weeb and like an anime perv or something because I had this. <laughs> on the back, whenever we like chat with him, he brings that up.
4: He he's better at teasing, I think, than like anybody because he teases both of us in really sweet ways. Nice, and I like that. That's always a consistent thing. Timo's a great guy. Really, really, cool he's guy. an
5: affectionate bull. He's our toji. Yeah
4: yeah,
5: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> someday someday we're going to work with him on something
4: yeah oh that'd be
0: fabulous yeah that'd be fun yeah I, I just introduced my roommate to the night comes for us oh fuck yeah Hell yeah. Uh, that was actually it was holiday viewing which funnily enough you were also responsible for my holiday viewing this year because as a byproduct of listening to sync ratios you got me to watch bocorano
5: okay so i was gonna ask because i remember was texting with the, the account on twitter or whatever. Uh, and I knew that one of you we sort of had indoctrinated into the Bokurano cult.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that was I was familiar. I'm I'm, sorry, I'm blanking on the mangaka's name at the moment, but I, I was familiar with his work from I'd seen Shadow Star Narutaru. <laughs> and I was familiar with the concept of Bokurano, but I never just pulled the trigger on actually watching it. So yeah, that was my Christmas viewing, and couldn't see my family because of COVID restrictions. So so uh, stop wow. pulling up. So, because you were so depressed from watching *Brotherhood*, instead of deck the halls or jingle bells, I had uninstall stuck in my head for
4: several days. Oh yeah, I mean that that it's one that really it like everything about that show is a really like you no, know, it has like a memorable quality that has some I don't know. There's something nostalgic about it that I can't quite really put my finger on, and it's it's one of those things that we always talked about that like of all the kind of like post-evangelion shows that at least that I had seen anyways, that was the one that felt like it carved out a really unique place and had a really interesting like not comparable because nothing's as deep as evangelion but like the emotional density of that show really powerful the one that we've always really liked and it's not it's never been popular i don't know why aesthetic
5: as well it's really strong aesthetically and and i I just definitely think of the opening credits of like there's a shot of like one of the characters running through a sunset oh hell yeah uh, and running in this really awkward way just that color palette of sunset. And I think, comparable to Evangelion, there's like a really specific soundscape of like uh, sounds, music as well, and how they use that, but also just the sound of when the, the Koimushi character will appear or like the sound mm-hmm. of the chairs spinning and like things like that. This is a very oral space that's in the same way that Evangelion. I
4: can hear every one of them in my head when you say it. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah it's like every single one of them is so distinct. Yeah.
5: Yeah, no.
0: So that was that was my holiday viewing for for 2021. But yeah, look, I I honestly, I, being a big Ava, I don't have time to listen to a lot of podcasts, unfortunately, because ours keeps me pretty busy. But I sat down and listened to the first couple Sync Ratios episode, and it was just, oh, this is everything I would want as a Ava fan. Aww.
5: Oh, that's great. Yeah, there's definitely pressure of like, if we're gonna do it, like we have to do it. But then it's like you know, it's, it's hard to do a podcast with all the editing and it is, you know, very time consuming. And, and so we ended up, we didn't do a whole lot of like editing and bells and whistles. And I felt a little bit guilty of like, are we just kind of like sitting down and shitting this out and like expecting people to listen to this and like, is this arrogant or is this unprofessional? But, but it seems like the people that did respond to it really responded to just, you know, the sincerity of it of look, this is just an excuse for us to sit down not for work and just talk about stuff that we like and, you know, sort of interact a little bit. And uh we just wanted to share it with people. So, you know, we're not one of the, the big boys out there, but I don't know. Yeah. It was a labor of love. And so it always, it's always really touching to hear that people took to it as they did.
4: Yeah. That's like a hundred percent our vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, that's what I recognize it. And that's been the nice thing about podcasts as a medium is just like, letting everybody kind of get windows into what it's like seeing that everybody's friend groups are kind of, you know, there's some commonalities there and not that, not that we didn't know that, but I do think it's nice to like drop yourself into somebody else's little hangout, you know? Mm. And, and that was always the hope with Evangelion, because, you know, again, we said on the show many million times that we have known each other for so long and we've watched Evangelion as, you know, like however many times with different friends and it's like, you know, that's kind of the experience. So it's fun to give that to people. And so, and yeah, it's very rewarding when people especially the people who find the show at the same time they discover Evangelion in the first place which is crazy there's some of those people and that's always really trippy to think that you're even like part of somebody's first because you guys know you talk about movies and like somebody goes to watch the movie it's like well you contributed to their expectation about the movie and like I don't know it's pretty cool that's I mean it's just communication but it's a cool thing there's nothing I love more than suggesting a movie to somebody and then just loving it
5: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that's the best But uh, yeah, I guess these things are scary. But like, should we be talking about scary things? This is the scary stuff podcast. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Like, like aging. (laughs) (laughs)
5: Existential terror. I at this problem
2: with my elbow
4: and <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, man, in my back these days. I've been waiting
0: for us to, as we become more and more personal on the podcast, for us to devolve into that. Because oh, yeah. every now and again, as particularly running a podcast is, you know, like so we we did four episodes before lockdown hit, and then when lockdown hits, the episodes basically turn into therapy sessions. Yeah. So I've been waiting for that complete devolution. I'll tell you some scary stuff. My wife doesn't love me. You know. <laughs> Here's what keeps me awake <laughs> at night, you know. <laughs> We've been teetering on the edge of that for a while. So.
4: Yeah, yeah, the true horror of the world. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I have to say I feel a little embarrassed right now because I've never seen Evangelion. Oh, wow. Oh, it's good. Any of it? No, I've seen the first two-ish episodes. So I used to work at a comic book shop even before I met these guys. Okay. And one of the things we did was we rented anime videos at the time. Uh-huh. And Evangelion was our most popular one. So I, it was never around for me to actually just bring it home one night and watch it. And when I finally did, and I, at the time, I didn't have a lot of experience with anime. I I, I go way back with Akira. Sure. And, you know, a few others. Uh, Grey was another one that was for me. And a few others, you know, from the early 90s. But nothing that really kind of stuck too much. Lane! Who? That you? Well, I'll show you later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, And... <laughs> But Evangelion became super popular at the time so it was constantly being rented out and I finally took one home watched it and I'm like what the hell is going on and then I, I you know mm-hmm. and I couldn't get I couldn't watch the next one because it was out and I just kind of drifted away from it and and I know Eric is a huge fan and it's something I've always sort of meant to get back to and lately my my brother has been on a bit of a manga and anime kick which has been trickling down to me so maybe that'll be the the next one I I jump into What uh,
5: what is he into? He got started reading
0: Pluto. He, he's reading Naoki. We, we got him hooked on Naoki Urasawa. So, uh, we, okay. so he read Pluto, and he finished 20th Century Boys, and now Jake is on 20th Century Boys. Yeah, I'm
1: reading so. 20th Century Boys, and as of last night, rereading Akira for the probably 400th time.
5: Oh, yeah. So you can probably see I got the big uh, Akira manga. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Is that the, the more recent,
1: the hardcover one that came out? Yeah, the, the it's, pretty,
5: it's pretty cool.
1: Is it nice?
5: Yeah. I nice. have been
1: look- I have the old Dark Horse, you know, black and white ones. And I have the original comics that uh, Epic put out. Yeah,
4: this is like the big uh, fucking thing. It's a
1: fucking- I, I
6: see just-
1: this Ooh. box set oh and every God. time I see it, I'm like, I can afford that. I should buy
2: <laughs> that. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to read them because I've heard that the manga has so much more than the movie. And I've just been like, I, I need to fix this.
1: The manga is so much better than the movie. I discovered the manga... My brother and I, at the same time in a comic book shop, we used to go cross country as a kid with my mom on like summer vacation. Mm -hmm. And we'd take like, you know, these big long road trips. And one time we went up to Alaska, but we drove. And going through West Edmonton, we went to a comic shop. And I remember it vividly. It had like two floors and it was this great comic shop. And my brother picked up issue one of Akira and we both read it that night. And then before we left town the next day, we went back and got everything else that was out because it was such a, you know, like getting punched in the face. And that's, oh, yeah. um, that's how I've always felt about Akira. So I was excited when y'all picked Magnetic Rose because that's another Atomo story. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's my But And I just kind of petered out a little bit after that because there wasn't, there wasn't a ton available in the States because I'm old.
4: No, back in the day, it was hard. No, yeah, I mean, we're not, I, I don't know age comparison, but I mean, yeah, back in the day, like, I mean, when Luke first was telling me about Evangelion, it was like a box of VHS tapes of varying degrees of quality that were sort of being passed between him and another friend of ours. And it was like, yeah, I mean, if you wanted to get into this shit, it was not easy. And it was not cheap. That's no. I mean.
5: It was hard to get series as well, you know, because movies, you, you could bring over Ghost in the yeah. Shell, you can bring over Ninja Scroll, you could bring over these. St- so the Evangelion being a series was sort of the first. I was like, oh, there's like TV shows too. It's not just movies and and with the manga you know like that there's so many issues of akira there's so many volumes of it it was kind of like oh yeah it's like a whole different thing than just one book you know
0: yeah particularly when akira was coming out was it via epic and they had they reduced it into like the individual like 22 pages and they had steve olaf doing colors on it and the like yeah i've I've
1: got those that's how i discovered it be curious to see the difference
0: yeah, as part of my Otomo prep, there's a neat feature right on YouTube where Olif goes over kind of the process he went through on coloring it. So pretty interesting.
2: See, what we, what we gotta do, Jake, is we gotta get you to finish Evangelion, then we'll just kind of like butter you up with Trigun, and then I'm gonna throw Future Diaries at you be- and you're gonna wonder why
0: I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, I think I've seen Future Diaries. You've seen Future Diary, yeah. yeah.
4: You've seen all of it? Yeah. yeah. Well, Future Diaries is messed up. <laughs> that was bleep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I know that one. No, I haven't seen that. What is that one? Uh, uh, yeah,
0: Mariah Nikki Future Diary. Yeah, it was part of the kind of resurgence in Battle Royale-style anime where it's, um, you know, a bunch of characters start off with a cast of characters and, and they have to kill each other off. Oh, shit. By the end of it.
2: Yeah, The the, uh, the twist is there's a god that is making it happen, and it selected them all, and what it's enabled them with is they have, all of them are diary keepers one way or the other, and the diaries they have are one day ahead. And so they have this future data to help them figure out what's happening and how uh, they can use it to kill the other ones off. But the thing is, is that it's written in the same format as they would normally diary. So one of them's a cop, and his diary is all his case notes. So he'll even knows about the cases that are gonna happen in the near future. And like one guy, the, the big one is there's this one person's diary. It has nothing in it except one of the other person's details, which is creepy as hell because it means that they've always been keeping a diary on them this
4: whole time. <laughs> uh, this is cool. No, okay. I'm and I'm I'm intrigued. It's it's like a... who's
5: this from?
0: Is this recent? It's from about a decade ago. Uh, do you guys know the anime Big Order that was kind of nefarious about five years ago? No, I
4: don't think I do. Okay, it's no. it's
0: from the, the the same guy who did that. It was particularly uh notoriously bonkers anime that had a single season. But yeah. It's Mariah Nikki was released as future diary. It was put out by Funimation. Okay. Uh, so and I'm, I'm guessing they still have the rights to it. So now it's probably on Crunchyroll now that all the Funimation stuff is moving over there.
5: Yeah. See, yeah. Cause I, I was a Crunchyroll guy, so I never, and I couldn't afford to do both for the longest time. So I just like picked was like all this Funimation stuff that I just missed. Cause it was hitting somewhere. And I was like, I'm not going to look cause I know I can't have it. Yeah. So. <laughs>
2: It starts off really kind of interesting and normal, and then it starts just gut punching you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Great. That's, I mean, that's that's the favorite shit. Is like the crazier some things, like when you start with a good concept and then you just work the concept into the craziest like lather you can get to. Like that's what I. That's mm-hmm. definitely what I'm looking for typically.
0: Yeah, similar to uh, Platinum End, the the one that just had an anime. It's it's by the guy who did Death Note, or yes. the, it's the two guys who did Death Note. Oh, it's cool. kind of similar conceptually. I I didn't watch Platinum End, but I know the gist of it. But the concept of it's kind of similar to Platinum End, where
5: it's yeah, I was someone's... thinking about starting that one actually. Just the other day, I saw that I think the whole series is up now. So yeah. I don't know. I bought the first volume of the manga because I love Death Note so much, and like just devoured that and. Uh... Yeah, big fan of those two guys, so I, I do want to see what what they did afterwards. The
0: reception too, it's been mixed, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but yeah, the artwork I saw from the manga looked phenomenal. So yeah, what but where we kind of got back into anime, it's funny for a large chunk of my life too. Talking about Ava is anime was kind of my like solitary thing where I had friends who kind of liked some stuff, but you know, no one I knew in high school liked Ava. I was the only kid who liked it. Mm-hmm. Everyone else just you know thought Shinji was whiny and couldn't identify with it and whatever. So right. so. Anime has been one of those weird solitary things where I didn't often have folks I could share it with. But now we, we have a mutual friend, Shannon, who started doing these anime weekends mm-hmm. and he would just have people over and he would take whatever was airing that particular season. And he would basically just build a lineup and he would show the first two to three episodes of a bunch of different shows. and oh, So, okay. all right. So, and we would just camp out in his house for several days and be like, all right. Here are all these shows, so you can see which ones you like, which ones you don't. Go home, watch them. And- oh, that's Sounds cool.
1: That- It'd be like 15 to 20 of us in this house, too. So this was a, Damn, a okay half party, half viewing. It was it was always a good time.
5: I do not have 15 to 20 people in my life that I could show anime to. I don't <laughs> no. Not, not at one time. <laughs> no. Unfortunately. No,
1: I
4: don't think we've gotten that many even now.
1: Well, at the time, I wasn't one of them, and it went a long way to get me back into to watching a lot of it.
4: Well, you got the, the good news is that Evangelion is waiting for you whenever you want it. Cause it's like, it's the kind of thing I really do think that, like, as we say on the show a lot, it just depends on your experience is always going to be different no matter where you hit it, you know? And so I think it's like, there's some of those things sometimes, like for me, like I get alienated by like really popular things that I don't know about sometimes if it feels like I missed like the hook, you know? Uh-huh. Like when everyone got into something, it's like if you. And sometimes I, I don't know. Sometimes things do work that way, but I think Evangelion is one of those unique ones. I mean, obviously that's why we did the show, but like yeah, I think it does work wherever it'll find you wherever you're at, and I think it'll bring things no matter who you are and no matter you know. So yeah, I don't. Know, it'll, it'll be fun for you one way or the other. I think you'll like it.
0: Somewhat related side note: Since we're talking about our friend Shannon, so uh, he is someone who's not a fan of Ava. Never finished it. Knew the what? gist of what happened in the movies. Wasn't interested. And I was trying to get him to go back to it at various points. I was like, you should give another shot. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch it. And then when Rebuild 4 came out, 3.0 plus 1.0, mm-hmm. he's a really big fan of European and Spanish guitar, acoustic guitar music. So I said, hey, here's the first two tracks from the Paris sequence that Shiro Sugisu did. <laughs> and I got an email back from him and he said, you know, I think I'm going to try this Rebuild thing. Wow. Because, you know, I don't need to watch the original series. I can just watch Rebuild. And then I watched totally. um, the final movie. I said, well,
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can technically. You but... can, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I need to watch the last movie again. I've watched it a few times at the time, but I mean, I, I, yeah, I'd be, I it's, there's so much in there, you know what I mean? Because like, I, I, we didn't, you know, no one knew how much it was going to connect or how much it was going to be. You know, and it's just like, I think it nearly broke our brains in some level. I mean, it's, yeah, that would be wild to just be like, oh, I'll just pick it up right now. <laughs> like You know, like, but and was he happy with it?
0: Uh, I don't think, he actually, I think he watched the first one and I don't know if he kept going. Interesting.
4: Try harder, Shannon. <laughs>
5: yeah, Come on, Shannon.
0: But yeah, so for, this is our very first anime that we're covering on the podcast and we are doing the first third of Memories. Yes. And so this first installment is... Kanojo no Moide, which translates as Her Memories, but was released uh, stateside as Magnetic Rose was the international title. And yeah, so this was interesting.
5: What is your guys'
0: history with this one?
5: I I think I was on a Satoshi Kone sort of journey of like finding anything and everything that he had done. And uh, I, I think I want to say Memories is one of those ones that was, I know all the genius parties were hard to find, and I still haven't seen a lot of those. But I think... I think memories was one of those ones that you'd see like pictures of and clips of, but like it wasn't readily available for a long time, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So it was one that I was like, Oh shit, I want to see that. And um, I I think I watched it for the first time a few years back, but probably through wanting to find Satoshi Kon stuff and that he had written the script for this short that also involved Otomo, you know, did Akira and, and then the music is by Yoko Kano. So it was just like, oh, it's like all the powerhouse people doing this thing. I have to see this. So yeah, I, I watched, and the whole movie's cool, but obviously to me, Magnetic Rose is like kind of a, the centerpiece of the movie. And to me, the most impressive one from an animation standpoint and from an error standpoint, is the most appealing. So, and it just works so well as a self-contained thing because it is a short, but it's like almost an hour long. So it's really almost really more of a movie. Yeah. And I, and I remember telling Ben and Kevin about it Maybe even on sync ratios. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's sort of just my history was just kind of like trying to follow the careers of a lot of the creatives involved and being like, well, damn, all right, this is like the traveling wheelbarrows or something. Like, this is like everyone together. (laughs) Yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't even think, I feel like there was maybe like some brief period that I used to see the disc in like a Hollywood video, you know, like I feel like maybe there was a minute it was available. But then it was one of those ones that, you, yeah, you never saw it anywhere. So it, it wasn't something for a long time that I, I mean, I only just watched it because of, the, you know, for this, because I just had forgotten it even existed on some level. Even Luke had mentioned it. And then it's like, oh yeah, finally, I'm going to remember to do that. And it's like pretty damn good, honestly. Yeah. Like, it's like pretty fucking great. I mean, I duh, right? Like, I mean, once I realized it was a film, it makes total sense. But it's like, yeah, so I just watched it last night and then more today. But I uh, I'm pretty into it. Nick
0: Jake, had either of you seen it before? Of course not.
3: <laughs>
6: <laughs>
0: it might have been one of the ones you had at the shop. Who knows? <laughs> you want to tell the story of what happened to all the VHS tapes you had after you left the shop?
1: Uh, I guess I can. So, <laughs> I I didn't know what a lot of that stuff was. So when we you know the shop was closing down, we just you know, grabbed a bunch and I just had a whole bag full of it. And I, you know, I never really watched it. And I didn't. So I just, you know, it was what other people didn't want. I'm Like, I'll take it. Maybe I'll watch it
0: someday. And then I, I forget. I guess I gave it to you, Eric, or I showed you it to you. You called me. So you were moving and you called me and you, and you said, hey, I got a bunch of VHS tapes from the old shop. I don't know what they are, but they're anime. Do you want them? Said, yeah, sure. Come by, drop them off. I hear a knock at the door about 15 minutes later. I open the door and Jake is standing there with a grocery bag. And he's looking down into it. And then he looks up and goes, I just realized it's mostly porn.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and here you go.
0: Huh?
4: But like, 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 like hentai or just like, yeah.
1: like porn? Yeah. We rented a lot of hentai porn at the shop. You're a Sugadochi? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that was in it, but that was one of the ones we rented. That's how I saw that. But I'm pretty sure one of them was twin dolls, maybe. Twin oh, dolls, probably. one
4: and two. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. <laughs> Do I have, I can't remember, is that, that's not the one that's in, that they use the clip in Demon Lover, is it? Oh, it might be.
0: I forget which one is in Demon Lover. Uh, I
4: I searched it out eventually, because I'm such a huge Demon Lover fan, and I had, and I watched the movie so many times, and eventually I was just like, what the fuck is that one then? What is, you know, and then I just got, it's not bad.
5: I want to say Twin Dolls is one of those ones that's like kind of a legit movie too. Yeah, it is. I think so. Yeah, like you can actually watch it, and the animation's cool, and you know.
1: I can't say you shouldn't watch it in your comic shop when you're opened.
4: No, probably not. <laughs> yeah. That one I can say. Or like, what's the the Overfiend or whatever? Legend, what of the the Overfiend. Legend of the Overfiend. Yeah, that was another one that I got. That's but that's a pretty cool one. That one's not. Okay, bad. so
2: Legend of the Overfiend is one of those that I've heard so many people talk about. Like, so <laughs> I've never seen it, but so many other people. And every time it comes up, they're Wait, like, "You've never seen it? I've never seen it." But every time I talk to people, they're like, "Oh yeah, that one. Wow, don't watch that." I'm like. <laughs> yeah, but everyone tells me not to watch
4: that, which makes me want to watch that. I don't think it's like the other thing it's more I'm guessing the people that you're talking to have probably not seen that much Hintai. so if it's like probably not. anime fans that haven't then watch that because it it's more of an anime than not, you know what I mean? There's yeah. not like a ton of sex in it or anything. That one
0: has actual cred like Showa Ishikawa like did the screenplay for it and
4: yeah. No, it's and it's I think it's pretty cool. All I know is any movie that has the line,
2: ah, pussy, after 3,000 years, you know, I might need to give
1: a minute.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, look, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's definitely hip
6: You knew he was going to say it,
1: Eric. You know I knew it. he was going to
6: say it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think Luke still has my DVD of it, maybe. I don't, I don't remember if I. I think
5: I do. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I actually haven't seen a whole lot of that stuff. I, I read this Neither have I. I've always seen the
0: first, yeah.
5: Yeah, there's a there's an anime book I read. I forgot the name of the author, but it was one of the first sort of like scholarly like books on like anime, and she has a whole section on um you know hentai. Uh, uh, Helen McCarthy, maybe uh, I bet I can find the
6: book
4: because I there's a whole period where I was like trying to find like like Googling what is the good hentai. <laughs> you know like because it's like you, you like there's a part of me that believes i haven't seen like a ton of but like there's a part of me that just believes because it's all drawn that obviously there's stuff that's like of more interesting quality or like you know on some sort of experience it's like kite or something is like you know that's technically intent but that's yeah the kite's some of the fucking best animation i've ever seen in my goddamn life and it's like so i'm like trying to like you know how do you so that's how i got to stuff like legend of the overfiend it was like just trying to find if there was stuff that was like sort of more legit. And I think there is, I just, it's hard to find because obviously there's so much Hentai and you know, like you Google those lists and stuff and it's just going to be bogged out with new stuff. Like oversaturated. Yeah.
5: The author is uh Susan J. Napier, by the way. Okay. So, okay. And she's got a whole section on that. And the twin dolls that she talks about, Legendary Wharfine, she talks about, you know, a lot, a lot of it. And they, they sounded interesting. And that's why I borrowed your, Disc, but I have a family, and it's hard for me to be like I'm gonna. Yes.
4: <laughs>
1: well, I I can say they weren't the most popular rentals. That was Evangelion. But uh, well, yeah, that's
4: the thing. I used to go to those stores because, like, when I was a kid, I would go to like the comic stores or like the video comic stores that you know that had the hentai for rent, and I always just be like, yeah, like, well, does anybody rent this? You know, like, and I and then by the time I was old enough to like you know kind of do it, most of that stuff was going away, so. Never got the chance.
0: Yuratsu Kadoji was always, quick change was always fascinating to me because it was, it, that was the era where VHS rental places were starting to trickle in with carrying some anime on the shelves. Right. But when Yuratsu Kadoji hit VHS, there, so there used to be at the counters of VHS stores, there used to be little booklets that they would have stacked up, which is, you know, the movies that are coming out next month so you know what's coming out when and, and you can reserve them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Yuratsu Kadoji was on the cover of one of them. <laughs> It was the cover story. It was specific because this movie is coming out next month. It is a cartoon. You should not let your kids watch it. Here's what. So it was this big warning. <laughs> it was like three pages in this thing. So it, And so I was immediately intrigued. Yeah. And, <laughs> and when it came in, you know, it had a big yellow stripe across the VHS box. Absolutely not for
4: children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they had those advice. But like, I think on anime tapes had advisories, I think, before the parental advisory was invented. Right. They yeah. had the not for children sticker on anime vhs was like i think one of the first things like that in parental advisory came about in like what like 95 or 96 or something Sounds thereabouts right. yeah yeah that's funny to think about because i do remember like the akira vhs tape i first saw had like the not for children it's like a little face with eyes like covered or something like yeah I
5: feel like akira had in the same way that the uh <laughs> the snowman would have like i remember there being like in commercials. like they would advertise on television of, like, you know, call to order a kid and they would yes. show you the clips. And it was like, a... really, you know, that was how you
4: could get, yeah. yeah, like on cable or something. Like, where yeah. would you see this at? Interesting. I didn't, yeah, I didn't grow up with cable, so I didn't see that type of shit. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, my interest, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, don't, sorry, <laughs> <Go ahead>.
3: don't, <laughs> God of
1: damn course, it. we have to, Nick. So, all right. One of the things we often discuss on this podcast is the concept of Fraggle Rock money.
2: Oh, Mike, I hate you so much.
1: (laughs) Go for it. So, Nick grew up rich, and in the early 90s, he had cable, he had HBO, so he got to watch Fraggle Rock.
5: Oh, sure.
3: Okay.
1: And we, of course, didn't because we grew up like normal people. So, yeah, so (laughs) growing up with (laughs) cable at that time. (laughs) <laughs> fraggle rock money so when you just said you didn't have cable as a kid nick he, like his you could i felt it from here his, <laughs> yeah. his just go on damn it <laughs> we,
5: we didn't have one we we had what we didn't have showtime we didn't have cinemax we did have hbo so i i did have Fraggle Rock. So. yeah i'm a fraggle rock i'm not, I'm not
6: alone
0: <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because all the anime was on stars Stars was running, like, all the urban video OVAs one year. So they That's had true. Judge, they had Twilight of the Dark Master, and they would
4: show it at, like, 2 in the afternoon. <laughs> no, yeah. I did it, I mean, once, my, like, when my dad got a better job, when I was, like, in high school, we got Satellite. So I went from, like, three fuzzy, you know, broadcasting channels to having stars and that shit like that. So I suddenly was able to see stuff like that. Hmm. And it was at the time when, you know, like, a anime VHS tape cost you know, 20 bucks or whatever so anytime something was playing i would just tape shit off of that stuff once i had it yeah. because i was like and that was how you found a lot of like you of know, random stuff but no i mer- i remember when i met luke i believe you had hbo and an entertainment weekly subscription which was like that meant luke knew everything and like it was just like <laughs> oh shit you know because at the time you, know, you gotta buy stuff i mean how long were you a subscriber for
5: The longest time, I mean, it's gone now. I I lapsed, but I think when I moved to California, Uh, I I don't don't think I got it after that. But uh, yeah, certainly from high school on, I was a big Premiere Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, uh, all that stuff kind of guy.
0: Yeah, and to what you just mentioned about TV ads, yeah, I I do remember, because my big introduction to anime was the Sci-Fi Channel Global Showcase in 1993. Okay. One night they showed, it was Robot Carnival, Lensman, and then there was like a four hour gap of nothing. And then at midnight, they showed Vampire Hunter D. Wow. And, nice. Because and, again, I, I convinced my friends to watch it. We watched like 10 minutes of Robot Carnival. They said, this is stupid and made me turn it off. What? But I had a tape set to record it. So I went home and then swapped tapes because I knew Vampire Hunter D was coming on at midnight. So I woke up the next morning, watched Vampire Hunter D and that blew my
5: mind.
4: I can't imagine. 93. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. I mean, that would be insane. It
5: was pretty tight. That's another good one. Yeah. I I enjoyed it. Memories. Yeah.
0: So that was when, when they started this and then the subsequent year when sci-fi channel started showing anime, they had a deal with streamline since they had licensed all those titles and they would run ads for like, Hey, you know, streamline entertainment. This is, you know, you can get the other streamline titles like, you know, Dominion tank police. So that, that might have been U.S. Manga Corps, but they had the other streamlined stuff.
1: It's funny. I, I, I think about it because, again, I'm a little bit older. But, you know, my introduction to any of this would have been Battle of the Planets and Voltron. Uh-huh. You know, And I was kind of primed for that. And then when I mentioned before that we read those Akira comics, that was when it was being put out by Epic. But the first one time I really would say I saw an anime was was actually Akira, the comic shop I was going to at the time. It was a place called the Dream Factory in Norwalk, Connecticut. And they got a hold of a film reel of it from japan wow. it wasn't subbed or dubbed it was in japanese Wow! and because it was such a big thing they rented a theater to show it to people and my brother and i went so the first Whoa. time i saw the movie was in japanese with no subtitles in a theater in i'm pretty sure it was i don't remember the exact theater but it would have been probably norwalk connecticut and then we had to wait a couple of years before we had any access to the actor they released the dubbed version
4: wow so you saw the whole movie it wasn't like you only saw part of it you saw the whole movie but you had no idea oh yeah it was
1: it was the whole movie the sound it was all the original but everything. you didn't know
4: what the fuck was going on at all
1: nope. We had read <laughs> <that>. <laughs> nope.
4: nope i mean by the way i saw it at 13 with probably dubbed and i still didn't know what the fuck was still going didn't know on well, we had so we like, had been
1: reading the comics
4: oh so, so we knew you, the yeah, story from up. the
1: comics insofar as it wow. you know it tracks to that and there's a the big difference but you, you know we would have it you know like when you first see the clowns we knew who yeah. they were from the comics oh, okay but it was, you know, it was one of those experiences. And I I think if more had been available, then I probably would have gotten pretty heavily into anime. But at the time, I was like, I had to trick my mom into buying me Crying Freeman issues. You know, don't look <laughs> at it, just buy it.
3: Yeah,
5: yeah. I just finished uh, reading Crying Freeman. They did a humble bundle of, like, all his stuff. And so, like, I got all of Crying Freeman. I finished that. Nice. I just,
0: for another movie that we'll hopefully do at some point, I went down a bit of a... a randomly a Kazuo Koike uh-huh. rabbit hole in just terms of, he has worked on some bonkers shit. Yeah. Just some, especially some of the live action stuff he did. Also, he collaborated on a random hentai or borderline hentai with Go Nagai called a uh, uh. uh, Zambare, um, what is it? Zambare Bazooka is the name of it. It's on YouTube. So it's <laughs> not even it just tangentially related to what I was researching, but yeah, just ended up going down a, a Kazuikoike rabbit hole. So yeah, I'd, I'd very much like to read Lone Wolf and
5: Cub, Crying Freeman, and a lot of his Lady Snowblood. I, I just finished that too. Yeah.
0: I just started
2: Lone Wolf and Cub. It's it's good. Oh, I really like it.
1: But I, and I can say, you know, just tossing it back that that the impression of Akira and Otomo works, and I've read others was why partly why I was so excited to watch this, and I you know immediately kind of felt drawn to it was watching it in and drawn in. You know, especially, and I'll, I'll just say this up front the music was what really got me in this. Like, it starts out with that little sax number. And, oh, good. you know, I find myself just kind of not even watching it, just sort of experiencing it and listening to it. And mm-hmm. it reminded me of that first experience watching Akira because I didn't know what anybody's saying. So you're just experiencing it more than really knowing what, everything that's happening. And this, this, you know, I had the subtitles for this, but it, it very much reminded me of that experience where it just kind of washes over you.
5: I was thinking that that was sort of the way to, to do it. Cause I, you know, I was like trying to take notes and like, I had what we were, we were supposed to do this like weeks or like a month ago. And I, so I watched it then. And then I was like rushing to like, oh, let me rewatch it before we, we actually talk about it. Cause it's been a minute and like wanted to take notes and like, think about like, what am I going to say? And then it's just like, I don't know. Like, I don't think the right way to watch this is to really analyze. Like I was like asking myself like, so wait, is it supernatural or is it just the computer went crazy Or is it like, what are we meant to take from this? And it's just like, I don't know. Like, I don't, it feels like it's not wanting you to do that. It doesn't want you to participate in that way, like wrestling it down and pulling it apart. It wants you to, you know, let it wash over you. It wants to carry you along musically, visually.
4: And I think, I I think obviously like, because this is the first time I saw it, the most immediate things I thought of were like, you know, 2001 and Solaris. And I think that like, obviously both of those have like that kind of quality and it's funny because i I've, I've mentioned this before probably but like even like both versions of solaris have that quality and it's interesting because I, I i think i have the stanislaw limb novel somewhere around here that i haven't read but like i assume that you know solaris is popular enough that like that's probably something of an influence here but there's been a lot of solaris rip-offs usually i like them this one was just cooler better and yeah it maintained something of that same kind of Odd, ambiguous, mysterious, but sort of like, yeah, aesthetically uh, rich quality that makes you sort of not question it as much. And I, I like most of the notes I took while watching were like kind of, you know, individual tactile observations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was a lot of like the way things break in this is great. There's a lot of breaking yes. bodies and things and things pulling off and it's just like the detail of some of that movement, the way things fall and like yeah, the doll
5: falling over. Incredible yeah.
4: Incredible shit. Yeah. I love that they
0: they retain the borderline bio-organic element that Otomo's mechanical designs have. You know, cables running everywhere with this almost. Mm-hmm. And then this put this fragile veneer over everything. Yep. So you have this facade of opulence, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. that's crumbling over top. And underneath is the standard Otomo, you know, pipe work where everything is leaking.
5: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so wet.
0: Yeah, it's very wet. <laughs> Mm-hmm.
5: what is the uh, uh lane serial experiments lane when mm-hmm. she uh you know is hooking up her computer she's got all the wires this just like like damp in there and like this little yes. cyberpunk like mess that she builds so good
1: you know i i can tell you, you you mentioned notes and normally when we watch you know film i'll have a couple pages worth of notes from just you know repeated viewings and i took exactly two watching this for the three times i watched it first one is i love the sax and the theme music. And the second one is I am not rooting for Corona. And
3: that
1: was <laughs> my only notes. So,
0: you, since you've read Otomo before, did you go in, and read? Did anyone read the manga for this? No,
1: no. I, went, I started rereading Akira because that's what I had it, you know, at hand. But I, I would like to go read the manga for it.
0: Yeah, it's out of print at the moment. So for anyone who's listening, who's unfamiliar with it. So this movie is it's an anthology of three shorts each done by different creators, but they're all based on Otomo short stories, which are all collected in a series that was called Memories. So the title of this takes its name directly from the series. The short that Otomo did that inspired this, same name, Kanojo no Moide, and it's basically just a much more truncated version of this where it's, sensibly it's the same overarching idea where it's, you know, the crew out there, they're going through junk and they get a distress signal. The Distress song is different. There's not the opera runner. So in this one, it's Madame Butterfly, it's Puccini. In the original, it's uh, Moonlight Serenade by Glenn Miller. So they hear mm. Moonlight Serenade playing. Uh. And they go and they investigate this ship. And it's has the same, it's kind of a, a fancy interior, but not opera hall. It looks just more like a mansion. Or they comment that it looks like a library. Mm-hmm. And the bulk of it is based on the robotic servants. Uh-oh. again this is it's much shorter it's only like 20 pages so in mm-hmm. in the finnish film they're depicted as these cherubic like characters you know holding up dishes and in the original they're just kind of more stock 80s we just they're just kind of uh, obelisk-like robots with a round head and just kind of scoot around. D2,
5: like, a, like a Star Wars droid?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yep, yeah, Just like a narrower R2-D2. And they just walk around and they... Creepy-ass baby angels was probably a better choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <say> yeah
4: <laughs> I think so. I think it was. <laughs> so
0: where they end up going with it is, you know, they're looking at this place. It has the same thing where they see there's food there that it looks okay, it smells okay, but they, it tastes awful. There's a library, but they pull out all the books and all the pages are empty. So same basic principle But it does have a counter-narrative where there are bits of it where it will cut to the diary of the Ava character in this, Uh Ava Friedel, who it'll be her journal and it'll just be an exterior shot of the station. So every now and again, it'll cut to like a diary entry in her internal monologue or past internal monologue because as in this, she's long dead. But yeah, basically they find out that the person who's in there was dead and that it's the computer has started this magnetic centrifugal force they go to leave the robots attack them they hop out of the station and they're still in their suits and that's when they see that the ship is being ripped apart and pulled in as part of this magnetic rose and it ends with yeah, okay just a shot of the rose and it ends with another internal monologue from Ava so it's it's kind of just a much more rudimentary version of what we get so it is interesting to read seeing Otomo in making this he does the final installment of memories but for the first two, they are done by different writers and directors. Right. And like Luke mentioned, that this one's written by Satoshi Kon, which I completely didn't realize because I had seen this so long ago. I didn't know who Satoshi Kon was. I
4: didn't know until Luke mentioned it. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and we're both like massive Satoshi Kon fans. And I just like it makes so much sense now.
5: You can see yeah, that he's adding a lot to that. And they, like this director, he was he did key animation for a lot of stuff. But did he direct? Anything else,
4: like, of notable? I was looking it up right before we got on. There's not a lot it looked like. I mean, or nothing that was, like, big, right?
0: He's he's mainly contributed to anthologies, and funnily enough, we were talking about Robot Carnival earlier. He did Franken's Gears Okay. in that one, which is probably the one that made my friend say, that's dumb. When <laughs> I shut this off, because that's the one. Which one was with,
5: Franken's Gears?
0: Uh, the old man who's assembling the Frankenstein-like robot in his basement, and it ends with the POV shot of the robot rising up and kind of crashing towards him oh, okay. it's one of the the many dialogue free ones i think there's only the one in there that has dialogue
5: like the one with the, with the woman with the earrings and the um and there's a there's a really beautiful segment in there um it's been a minute since i've seen it but yeah oh yeah that's yeah
0: that's the one that has dialogue and i'm blanking on the name of it
5: yeah it's been a minute
0: yeah he did franken's gears and robot carnival he did a segment of Genius Party, and he did a segment of Animatrix. He did the—I haven't gone back to rewatch Animatrix, but he did the Beyond segment.
5: Okay.
4: I am trying to remember yes. which one that was, or not, if I've seen that one in a long Yeah, time. I can't.
0: I wrote down that it was Beyond, but I didn't go back and, and rewatch it, so I can't remember which one that was. Well, he's
4: great in this, I and mean, it's a shame he didn't do like more features and stuff. Because going in, I just kind of assumed that Otomo had directed this one, because that's—I figured it. And, and and it's like, which is kind of amazing because you, I mean, it, we Luke and I talk about that a lot on the show, like the sort of what the credit hierarchy really is and some of these things because it's like it's, I mean, animation even in this country is like a different system than we're used to in terms of like what the credits mean, I think. And so with something like this, it's it's always interesting to see when like, like how Ana was like the executive director and like whatever that means compared to, you know, but this maintains, I think, so much of the quality that you would want from it. And so it's like, it's kind of amazing that this, I mean, like I, again, I dig like, maybe he's just really good at translating, you know, like within a style or something, maybe he's not, but I mean, it, as far as like, it makes me wish it, I mean, Otomo should have made more movies anyways, this guy could have done that too. It would have been great. Like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. He did an excellent job. At, and to touching on Otomo doing more movies. So like I mentioned, I had seen everything Satoshi Kon had done, Perfect Blue and Post, mm-hmm. but I'd never gone through and it was like, all right, some someday we're going to do, Either Perfect Blue on the pod or we'll do Paranoia Agent or something. And I was like, all right. So at that point, I'll I'll actually get into his manga stuff. So I never really got into his pre-Perfect Blue work. So I completely didn't realize that he had done this. And I completely didn't realize that his first non-manga writing credit was a live action movie that Otomo directed, which is called World Apartment Horror. And I I tracked it down. You've seen it? Yeah. So I... I don't know where I put the case for it. It's literally on my television at the moment because I was rewatching it before we started. It's a live action movie that was made, I think, like three years before this. Now, I knew Otomo had done the live action Mushishi, which I still haven't seen. But I thought that was his only live action work. But there is this movie called World Apartment Horror, which Satoshi Kon did a manga for. And it's written by three people. It's written by Otomo. It's written by Satoshi Kon. And it's written by Keiko Nobomoto. Oh, shit! And for folks who are listening, Keiko it worked on Macross Plus, worked on Cowboy Bebop, worked on Tokyo nice. Godfathers, and but she's... And Wolf's Rain. Yeah, Wolf's Reign is the big one. Don't
4: forget Wolf's Reign. No, this is... Oh, this is, I, I knew the name, but I didn't. I couldn't place it. Yeah, yeah. Luke has a whole thing about the... yeah, yeah. I
5: think, I think, you know, Shinichiro Watanabe, you know, obviously, like, all the cool... And Yoko Kano, like, so much going on with Cowboy Bebop, but I think really what makes Cowboy Bebop as good as it is, and as emotional as it is, is I think that's her influence is Keiko Nomoto Yeah, recently he passed away like last year, like
0: December. Yeah,
5: but yeah, I so I had no idea that movie existed. Was so this thing worth watching? Like, what I mean, what is this? Like, these
6: are yeah. these are all heavy hitters.
0: I really enjoyed it because it's, yeah, it's not commercially available, and I'm not sure why, given or that it never got a release. Like, because there was the era. funnily enough, we were talking earlier about how Nick, Jake, and I we all worked at Borders together. When we were working at Borders, that was the era in which there was starting to be a surge of some of the more peripheral and cult live-action movies that were actually getting DVD releases. Like, for instance, I know Mm -hmm. you guys are fans of Love and Pop, Hideaki Anno's live-action movie. You just
4: watched it the other day, actually.
0: I was working at Borders when that came out, so I have that DVD somewhere.
4: Luke has it still, I think. Because you got yeah. it, right? Didn't you get it right, right yeah, away? You? Oh, I, nice. I, I waited like a year and then it was fucking gone. And it's just, I mean, you could get it for like 80 bucks, but I just had a download of it. But yeah, like, yeah that was weird. The era when that was actually being like released and you could buy those things was pretty cool.
0: There was a lot, yeah. And the, and all went out of print within like three, four years. And yep. now we're going for ridiculous prices. But that was, mm-hmm. it, so Yeah, it was, I was picking that stuff up constantly from the store. But it, it's funny that World Apartment Horror didn't get a release because it's Otomo. Toshi Kon and it's good the lead actor in it is Sabu who's also a who's acted in a few things but he's also a live action director who's quite good and it's a horror comedy the, the basic premise of it is Sabu plays a low-level Yakuza who is told that we've got this apartment building and we want to demolish it to make room for something else but there's a bunch of people living in there the last guy we sent in to get everybody out we haven't heard from him so we need you to go in and get everybody out
4: great setup wonderful
0: and so the setup is so the the other yakuza guy who's in there has is basically gone insane he shoots through the door when the main character shows up insists there's weird supernatural shit going on there but the crux of the apartment building is it's all chinese korean people who who aren't you know native to japan and so the whole thing is a horror comedy based on you know xenophobia Uh and and racism from a japanese perspective
4: that's really interesting. I cannot believe that we didn't know about this. That's really, that's a like a pretty... It's funny because you've describing the plot, though, that even that sounds kind of like Solaris. Because it's like, in, the setup of Solaris is like, oh, you know, the guy's friend is there who is supposed to be the one doing the thing. And it's like, oh, your friend's gone crazy. You got to go get your friend or whatever. And so it's funny that that's like, I mean, I guess it's, it's a pretty potent, you know, genre narrative to sort of, you know, build your own imagery around. So I guess it, yeah. it makes sense. But it's funny that that both is... This
5: is sort of a weird... Thing, and this may be a weird poll for this podcast. I don't know, but like, I kept thinking, I don't know if anybody's read A Rose for Emily, the Faulkner short story, or had to read that in school. Not that one, no.
4: It's been a long fucking time. It's a
5: solid gothic one, but this Magnetic Rose made me think of that because there's this whole thing where she is this mysterious, like, recluse spinster lady. And at the end of the story, spoiler alert for Faulkner's Rose for Emily, uh, they like go into her house and like she's kept everything just the same and she's got the corpse of like the man that she loved in there and they find some of her hair that implies that she's been sleeping with the corpse every night and it's very much about somebody trying to sort of encapsulate a frozen space in time and just wow. live within their sort of like isolated memories and so when they had that shot of her, obviously the daughter's name is Emily in this story, the little girl that falls off the roof. Mm-hmm. And the final image of this corpse in the bed with the long gray hair clutching a rose is like, okay, there's like a Faulkner thing going on here as well, which is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, that's a good, good pull. I had not made that connection, but I have read that story. And now that you say that, that, yeah.
5: Yeah, it's been a long time. I had to look the story back up. And it's like, wait a minute, what was the deal with that? Story?
1: I tried to block out every bit of Faulkner I ever read. <laughs>
6: So
4: it's, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those. yeah. Although I'm curious now because that's I I didn't know. I mean you you've mentioned that maybe in passing, Luke. But that, that so yeah, an interesting you know Faulkner, Solaris, Kubrick, you know mashup here. It's a good blend of things.
5: Ridley Scott too. Obviously, there's a lot of Alien to it. Yeah, like kind of it feels very blue collar. That there's these like junk guys and they yep. oh a distress signal all the cutting back to the ship while there's like the storm is going on, like it felt very much like when they're on, you know, the planet, seeing the eggs, you know, and we're sort of like, what's going on down there? You know, what are you seeing? Definitely had that Ridley Scott sort of vibe.
4: I think the big thing for me though, like that one of the big observations I made comes back to something I, I don't know if we talked about on the podcast, but like it's something that we encounter a little bit in our professional lives as, you know, screenwriters and making movies that like, There are some genre combinations that sort of almost like price themselves out of being viable. And space horror is one of the ones that is the the biggest, it's a big challenge. I mean, I think like VFX being, you know, more like easy to do on your own means that people have done more like low budget space horror. But like when you look at it for a while, there was only like these kind of big ones. Because to build the sets, to build the ships, to build all the models, do the thing, it's like, yeah, you got to spend some money. The,
5: the appealing thing about horror as a genre, from a commercial standpoint, is it's cheap to make, but it stands to make a lot of money. Yes. When you start adding sci-fi elements to it, your budget balloons, and all of a sudden, what's so you know, it's a surefire hit for the genre. You know, why it's such an easy gamble to take is like, well, that's not true anymore. And you know, all it takes is a couple of budget you know failures to like, okay, we're not doing that anymore.
4: But even then, I mean, even if you had all the money that, you know, Ridley Scott could ever want, I don't think you could accomplish what they do in this, you know? And it's no. one of those fundamental, like, for Luke and I, I think it comes up a lot on on sync ratios, but, like, it's just always, like, a funny thing that, you know, we love this stuff that's so imaginative, and, like, the fact that animation is just, you know, limited by your abilities and your imagination, you know, to draw, you know, and whereas, like, we, to make our movies, we have to, like, Kind of write something that's cool enough that convinces somebody to spend enough money to make the thing look convincingly cool, like it was supposed to when you read it. And it's like when you watch something like this, you're just like, God damn, it's such a good example of how they they get to do exactly what they envision in some level. And like that, like, you know, you can compare it to In Horizon, you could compare it to Solaris, you could compare it to 2001. But even those movies are very much like, you know, compared to this, you can see the limitations even in just shot selection. You know, like, because it's like you build, you spend all that money and you can, you know. Well, well even,
5: even in the nature of the horror and like what what's sort of startling to me is like, look, this is, I think it's horror. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a lot of what's scary is beautiful stuff. Yep. Like they'll turn and like, oh, this opera plate, And it's so scary, but it's so beautiful. And you only have that measure of control if you're like, you know, a real master of like, you know, cinematography and filmmaking. You're like, an animator has complete control of all that. So when you come to this, you know, this beautiful woman in a beautiful field is somehow like really creepy. And then that that's of course juxtaposed with like all this decay and all this sort of Otomo crazy, you know, stuff with these baby statues flying around and, and uh, you know, all the rotting food and the, and the stage that like, that his life turns into a stage, like all these things that are kind of like beautiful moments are given this. And you could never do that in live action. We could never write that in a script because nobody would understand like, no, it's scary when it cuts to the little girl. It's scary when it cuts to the opera house. You know, it feels foreboding. It,
1: it, yeah, it it reminded me uh, years ago. I read an article by uh, Donna Tart called "The Secret History," and mm-hmm. one of the the main functions of it was about beauty and terror being kind of the same thing. And it, mm. what you just talked about, it it I thought of it a few times watching this, and it it clicked in that way.
0: And goes hand in hand with with the ex. Exec- going back to what you said earlier about just how well executed it is, that it is visually. Well, a it's just gorgeous. Studio 4C and the crew did an amazing job, and and from a design perspective, it's terrific. But it, it's visually ambitious in its execution in a lot of ways. Miguel has the one POV shot, which is him looking at the the dresser when he's in the dressing room, and so you have the, the mirrored effect there. But I love that the kind of the terrifying moments in it are so simple. Like to me, the the scariest beat on the first watch is in that sequence it's miguel when he's facing away from the dresser and the tone of the light changes and your reaction to or your comprehension that miguel is now terrified isn't a facial reaction before then it's just the shot of his hand trembling as he pulls the gun up mm-hmm. and so little things like that and then also on the second watch you mentioned the figurine toppling over how that is for lack of a better phrase intensely shattering the second time through, <laughs> <understanding> the full- <laughs> context of that. Like, I literally was like, oh my God, this.
5: Yeah, no, I I really like the, because they do flashlight stuff. You know, I I just watched uh, Incantation last night, this found footage horror movie from China. It's actually pretty scary. It's a little too long, but it's, it's really just some clever stuff. And you know, the, the thing that found footage horror movies can do so well is like actual natural light, you know, where we're not sort of in like day for night, very blue filter kind of like darkness, but like, no, it's actual darkness. It looks like you're shining a flashlight around a dark room that's so affecting and to see that done in animation where there's like in the flashlight, when you see that little girl, like fall through the ceiling, it's so abrupt. Yes. And the, you know, the, I, I never really seen that done in animation before to such a, to such great success of actually making it feel like you were using a flashlight. The source of, of that is like, that's staggering. It,
0: it really struck me watching it before we recorded in, well, watching it previously. Cause one, my favorite shot in it pretty much is the sequence where Heinz is going through the hall and he sees the stairwell leading into the basement and he sees it initially and it's empty. And then he turns around and we have another mirror moment where he has the hall mirror. And so you have the flashlight tracking across a mirror, ergo tracking into the background behind him and that you get just the fleeting glimpse of the, his daughter mm. going down the stairs. So even that, But, but even watching it today, it was when they're pulling in and they have the flashlight on as their pod is going into the shuttle and the amount of just particles and debris yeah. that they had to animate fleetingly passing as this you know beam of light tracks and keep track of where those particles reside and how they're moving. It was like, holy shit.
5: I, I don't I don't think I mean the bummer of it is that we talk about Akira and then this, we're never gonna see animation like that again on this skin. Not yeah. traditional hand drawn animation. And I don't know from memory, I don't know how much they were incorporating CGI at that point, or, or if there was any sort of assistance going on. I know, like, Akira is all, like you know, hand drawn, but the opulence of that. And and so stuff can look really cool. Even Gellion 3.0 was 1.0, like, it looks great, but it is a different art form almost at a certain point than what we're seeing here. And then certainly what we see in Akira. And it is just kind of like, and we're never going to see anything that looks quite like this again that they're going to spend so much money on because it's cheaper to sort of rely on more computer stuff and not these hand-drawn elements to such a degree
4: it's got such a different feel though it's like it's playing on my tv right now so i'm I'm just looking at it and i am just admiring the lighting and the whole the whole thing because like the flashlight stuff it was funny is when you were just describing that stairway shot it literally was playing on my television almost exactly in sync which is kind of incredible but like like just looking at the way the reflections and all the surfaces because there'll be like you know shots of that series like all the, the marble walls, the like wooden stairway, all of the glares and the highlights and stuff. They're just going like, I don't understand how they do that stuff, but it, the whole thing has a different textural feel. And you're right, Luke, it just doesn't, I don't know. That's, it's like, I'm happy whenever I find something that this, this era that, you know, I haven't seen because it is like when it's good, it's obviously Otoma is the best stuff, but like, yeah.
2: See now for me, what I pulled from this because it's a bit of extreme to say this, but like, like, like a, carpenter with a hammer everything looks like a nail to me so with my <laughs> with my horror movie approach i was watching this and like you have the jilted lover back from the dead pulling in a new a new lover into her fold and i immediately went to 1981's ghost story with alice krieg
4: uh-huh. and I,
2: like that's like by far one of my favorites and i was just like oh i'm i'm getting a lot of this vibe here <laughs> like he's mine you can't have him he's gonna stay with me forever
5: yeah it's, that's it's it's a haunted house, like that. That yeah. you're, you're totally right. I that thought as well. Is like, like for all the high techness of it, and like whether it's supernatural or not. Like the engine of this piece is it's a haunted house of like Absolutely. something bad happened. You find out, oh, she did she kill her lover to sort of keep him as he was in her mind, and so she's oh, she's a murderer, and these things are playing out here over and over again. You know, throughout, and like oh, we come in here, we've we've entered into the haunting. You know. And that's super cool. Yeah. And Alice Krieg is so oh. scary in Ghost Story. Even, like, Haunting. Just, you know, Haunting. Eyes, just,
2: yeah. She's so <laughs> like, she had that way of just looking like carrying the decades of despair. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, oh, she's just, chef's kissing that.
0: It's interesting because with the original Otomo story being, you know, much shorter, but much more just, it, it, there's somewhat, you know, creepy and surreal elements to it but it's much more it's like oh yeah it's computer acting up and it's much more technological and that he gave creators you know the leeway to embellish it and that satoshi kone's approach was to add this nebulous element to it of you know is it or is it not supernatural and how you're kind of you know bouncing through it all throughout and interestingly in terms of satoshi kone's filmography in in reading up on it i couldn't find a ton of satoshi kone talking about it there is for anyone who's interested there is an NHK documentary about this uh, on The Making of Memories, oh. which is on YouTube. It's 30 minutes and it's subtitled, but they only talk to, for the Magnetic Rose segment, they only talk to Koji Morimoto, the director. But I did find a, a a quote, I guess, of Satoshi Kon talking about it and talking about how this was kind of the first, one, one of the first screenwriting items that he wrote and then was handed off to a different director, you know, to execute. Because this is like his third screenwriting credit. There was World Apartment Hard, There's an episode of JoJo's, and then this, and that's pretty much wow. it for screenwriting. And he mentions the, the you know seeing this, and he was like, you know, and, and he's not saying it I don't in an overtly negative way, but he's talking about how he, the weird element of you know how he had these vivid images in his head of how he thought it would be executed, and seeing it executed by you know, another director's vision, and him saying, you know, well, I think you know going forward, I'd like to just do it you know, myself. And, and so it seems like this was kind of the impetus for him in a weird way. This was Satoshi Kon's
5: Rawhead Rex, where right. he just yeah. said, you yeah. know, <laughs>
0: fuck it. I'll just do it myself.
5: <laughs> and- well, it's, it's so funny. Like these, these images are so like abstract. I don't know. They're like white wax on a stage and it like falls apart and crumples. They didn't execute that exactly the way I imagined. It.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, It's so bizarre. But I'm also like, well, what what would he have done so differently? I mean, because it is really well done. I mean, I guess it's good for him, you know. I mean, if I mean, look, I mean, I think Satoshi Kon is one of the probably greatest artists of the medium. So I I suppose if you're going to be that, then you can look at this and go, oh yeah, I could I could just do I could I could direct my own shit now. You know what I mean? If you're that good, I suppose that's what you how you get there. But it's like yeah most of us see Rawhead Rex you know it's like it's like you get you get the money like usually the thing is like the shittier one that you think you can do better than but I guess if you're Satoshi and you look at a, you know fucking masterpiece like this and you're like yeah no I can do better than that and then you do you know because you're Satoshi Kon that's what you do so like you know yeah, it works I guess but it's still surprising to me because I would think he would be like I was so amazed by what they did that I wanted to do it too you know like if anything you know
0: yeah, it, it didn't read overtly negative, but it did read like that very contemplative, yeah. you know, kind of. It was like, well, you know, I thought about, you know, the different ways of it. So I you know, thought maybe I'll just do it myself. And and he did. Perfect Blue, I guess, was not too long after this.
4: And, and I was going to say, it looks like Perfect Blue. It, it has a similar quality. Like some of the texture of the stuff, I was just thinking that it looked kind of like that when it, there was some like, character design that was on a second ago. but
5: Apparently, too. Yeah. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's already finding this sort of like blurring the line of reality and, you know, sort of. These like repeating patterns of things is like oh yeah this is the guy that's gonna make paprika like it, I, that makes sense you know mm-hmm.
4: no you can see it at this point even
0: I had the same thought I was curious if Kon did the character designs for it and I guess based on there's an art book which I saw some stills from it looks like he might have done some storyboard work but mm-hmm. the character designer credited is Toshiyuki Inoue uh, whose I think only other character designer credit is a tree of palm but also has amazing credits as a key animator. Was a key animator on Akira, uh, Only Yesterday, which is probably my favorite Takahata, Ghost in the Shell 2, which is fine because they also had, the design said, kind of an Oshi, the animated Oshi quality to them. Uh, Millennium Actress, Paprika, Wolf Children, uh, so working with Hosoda and Bell, which just came out, but also was a key animator on Ava Rebuild 3 and 4. So amazing key animator
4: credits. Wow. Okay. Jesus, he must be like one of the best. <laughs>
5: Ghost in the Shell Two, the Opera House like quality and then the the little cherub robots, it definitely gave me vibes of Ghost in the Shell Two. Like where they oh, go yeah. to that place and there's like the looping, stuck in a time loop basically, and there's like little butler robots and stuff, and it, it all is very opulent and big. It, it reminded me of this a lot.
0: I need to go back and yeah and see. I didn't think of that at all. So yeah.
5: That's a weird movie. I actually really
0: <laughs> liked *Innocence*, *Ghost in the Shell* too when I saw it, but it's been ages. It's
5: a weird
0: one. Well, we're bringing up design stuff. One other person I'll talk out who I thought was interesting was—he's a key animator on this. He's also credited with firearms design, so he, I guess he designed the, the two guns we see. But it's Mitsuo Iso, who was also, funnily enough, he's credited with weapon design on *Ghost in the Shell*.
4: Okay. Oh wow. Okay. He was
0: a mechanical designer on *Rurouni Z*. Uh, he. Wrote one Evangelion episode. He did the script for episode 13, the Lilliputian Hitcher episode, which was directed (laughs) by Tensai Okamura, who does the second segment of Memories. He does Stink Bomb. Okay. But also, most folks probably know him because, and I haven't seen these, but I know folks love them. He's the creator of Denno Coil, the anime, and then he also created Orbital Children, which I guess just hit Netflix and has gotten some good buzz. But Denno Coil, I know, is an anime that I haven't seen, but has a very ardent, Fan base,
4: and I guess I mean I guess that's just the way it tends to work with these things because I mean there can't be that many people that are that good at it, right? So they must just kind of be like kind of a small world ultimately. Because it is funny when you think about like people just go between the different jobs. It's like oh, he wrote an episode of this, He's, you know, key animation on that, and it's like I guess that just implies that it's just a community of people that you know. But it is funny because that's so different from like yeah the way that any system works over here. But mm-hmm. it's it's that's pretty cool.
1: So you, you mentioned a community of people, so I guess I ought to sneak in my, <laughs> my recurring bit here. Oh, God. What
4: a segue. <laughs> no, for it.
1: So each episode, I try to connect whatever we're watching in some way to the show community.
2: I've been waiting for this.
1: And And each episode, <laughs> they get more and more esoteric because, you know, obviously nobody who worked on this also worked on community. But Akira which is, of course, Otomo's masterpiece, or I would call it his masterpiece. I don't think there's a lot of argument there. The original 1989 dub of that featured Barbara Goodson, who voiced Takashi, Kaori, and a few other characters. She also, and this is actually a repeat from a previous connection. Cheating. She also... <laughs> I,
4: I'll accept it, I'm curious.
1: She also did voices on a On a video game called Lords of EverQuest, which I played Ah! back then. I was a huge EverQuest fan. Yes, you were. Uh, Which also featured Firuza Balk's voice on it. So this was our community connection for when we did uh, Craft. The Craft. Thank you. But anyway, Keith David also does voices in that. And Keith David, of course, was featured on Community. So that's our connection. Barbara Goodson via Akira to Keith David. Via EverQuest, because that was a big EverQuest nerd. <laughs> Very good. So any anytime I can go through that particular game and there's a lot of ways I can, I'm gonna go through that game. So
4: <laughs> I, I, no, I I appreciate those kind of
3: things.
5: That, that reminds me of one of my favorite community jokes because it has to do with voice acting. There's an episode when they're all they're on walkie talkies and everybody's code name is a different cinematic Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the teams is voice of Diedrich Bader. <laughs> it's the
1: dean jim rash's character
5: specifically voice of DJ Vader. <laughs> yeah. that's
1: the uh the paintball episode in season six
5: it's such a deep cut joke
4: <laughs> 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 Wait, which which batman is he brave and the bold
5: he's the brave and the bold cartoon batman
4: <laughs> yeah oh is yeah. that like the more recent one
0: yeah, that was uh, like that was 10, years ago, something like that.
4: Okay, okay. Yeah, I must, have that were... I must have fallen off at that point. I was an original Batman animated series guy, but I fell off after that.
0: It was all like a team-up show. So uh, if you've seen the clips of, oh, I'm blanking on his name, the voice actor for Bender in Futurama, John...
5: DiMaggio.
0: John DiMaggio. It, there were clips of him voicing Aquaman. Oh, my. That have kind of circulated because he had this very bombastic over-the-top take on aquaman those are from brave and the bold because it was all like batman teaming up so it was like i gotta look that up him and aquaman (laughs) there were a few that were him and the jaime reyes blue beetle i haven't seen like whole episodes i've just seen clips but i think he's done batman a few times since then too
5: yeah i think so
1: it's funny you bring that one up and this is gonna make me sound like a psychopath but i only know it because i follow a few (laughs) accounts we're recording this on jim rash's birthday
6: Oh wow! Hey. Hey. Oh. So happy birthday, Jim, happy birthday Rash. Jim! I, I again, yeah. I only
1: know that because I follow some community accounts, and they were talking about it. this. Isn't like something on my calendar. Shut up! Yeah, Nick. You, you don't have like his home address, do you?
5: He's also the Riddler in the Harley Quinn show, which is coming back. Yeah, season three. That's true. Oh,
1: I just watched the trailer for that, and it was—I was dying. I, I'm gonna—that's gonna be a fun season.
4: Oh, I, I love the first two. I guess there's two, right? Two, yeah. 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 Because Luke was like subtly pushing me to, to watch it for a long time but like not wanting to force it and I finally was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I and one episode in I was like, Oh my god, this is like some of the better like American animation stuff I've seen. Like I watched
5: it when it was on that, that D C streaming service. Like so yeah. oh, you had DC
4: I, it's funny,
1: I, I I'm not a big Harley Quinn fan, just big DC comics guy when they put out ninety seven Batman titles or eventually you just got it like enough. Yeah. But ironically, I saw the first episode at our aforementioned friend Shannon's place. Mm-hmm. when We were down there watching a bunch of horror movies. and We would, you know, put in a cartoon or something in between them. And that then, yeah, that's a, It's a
0: good show. Hey, everyone. Post-production Eric here. At this point in the conversation with Ben and Luke, we transitioned into a story about another friend of the pod who isn't Shannon, the person we were just talking about. But that story then dovetailed into an anecdote that you're about to hear from me. I'm going to leave that whole anecdote portion in because it does inform the rest of the conversation for the remainder of the review. I am going to retroactively redact the name of the person that story is in regards to. Not that I think they'd have a problem with it, but just to be safe. But like I say later in the review, you know who you are. Although while we're talking about Friend of the Pod Redacted, and I might snip his name out of this, but you know who you are.
6: <laughs> the reason
0: I asked you to tell that story, Jake, about give me the aside from the fact that you mentioned the comic store, is when redacted was moving. We were over helping him move boxes, and he thrusts a VHS tape in my hands and says, "Pretend this is yours," uh-huh. and walks away. Oh my god! <laughs> and I look at it, and it's Guy Double Target <laughs> in uh-huh. the old like eighty vision like big black hard plastic VHS box. And so it's like why do people always voice hentai on me when they move? it's <laughs> <So, laughs> happened
3: to me twice.
0: I didn't know. I hadn't paid attention to what was in that bag. I didn't know
4: Redacted.
0: And it's seen anime, let alone yeah. had guy double target of all things on the <laughs> UHS.
4: So, I don't I don't know that one, but that's a fantastic title. I like I don't know what that means, but I'm I'm gonna find out, I think. Like <laughs> Guy Double Target. I could I could riff all day about what that could mean. I mean, if you got a list of what the best hentai are, I think, you know, like tweet it or something. I mean, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> put a letterbox <laughs> list together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Make that public, is what I'm saying, Eric, make sure everyone knows. Can't wait for my
0: hashtag last four watts this week.
1: <laughs> That'll be our next Twitter poll on the uh, scary stuff count.
5: I want to know the current whereabouts of this giant garbage bag full of VHS hentai.
0: <laughs> uh, the bottom drawer of a cabinet over there.
4: Oh, good, good. I was going to say, yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad you kept it because that's. I was afraid when that story started that it was going to involve you like destroying it with a shotgun or something. That you just like, had all these like. I was. I was like, God, what is the fucked up thing that like happened to these tapes? And I'm just like thinking about how they probably don't exist in any other medium. So the fact that you have them still is beautiful to me. At
1: worst, we would have put him in the porn woods for some other kid to find, right? Exactly. No,
4: yeah. No, thing, like, like, so, you
0: know. I guess I did interrupt the natural cycle of things. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you need
4: to put on a haggle, walk through the woods, just sort of drop them as you go, like Hansel and Gretel, you know? Like, just leave them.
1: Seed <laughs> in the forest with pornography. <laughs>
4: Some kids find Legend of the Overfiend in a creek somewhere. It's like they put it in, it's all water damage, so they only get a few frames. What the fuck is going on?
2: Ah, forest porn after 3,000 years!
4: (laughs) I mean, man... I mean, I don't know. It's like it's funny. I don't know when that joke of finding porn in the woods became, but like I legitimately did. I mean, that happened. Oh yeah, we did. First off, Mm -hmm. like straight up, that was a thing. It worked. Yeah, (laughs) and it must have just. I guess it was just everybody doing it. It was like it was just kids stealing things and then being scared and leaving them for other kids to find. I guess I don't know. It was a real thing. I guess it doesn't happen anymore. I'd
5: love to uh, make a movie, Ben, where somebody finds a cursed, like, hentai videotape in the woods. And it's, like, like like a a (laughs) ring-style, like, they're being stalked by, like, a Roger Rabbit kind of thing, where they're
4: being stalked by, like, a hentai (laughs) demon. (laughs) So it's porn? (laughs) Yeah, that would be pretty good. Well, remember, we had one that was about finding a porn tape that that could freeze time. But that was before sex criminals was a thing, and then we were really oh. bummed. So I think finding a finding a cursed hentai tape, I think, is a probably good progression. We should look into that. Yeah, you I, know, yeah. but it, it'd be great if it'd be yeah, but like literally like who like if it, yeah, like a two D. That's what you're saying, right? That it's like a hand drawn yeah, there's a
5: traditionally animated yeah, you know, yeah, dick demon that's like you know outside their window at night, you know, closing in. It's like the sun dog, you know, it gets closer and closer yeah. every time.
4: Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> Good pull. Yeah, every time you watch the hentai thing to jack off, then it's like, it gets it's like closer to the frame, you know? It's like, it's like moving. Yeah.
5: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like butterfly kisses. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, wait, it's, it's, oh, you're watching this tape, and you're like, wait, is that an animated version of, of my living room? <laughs>
4: yeah. Oh. oh, God, that would be great. <laughs> like, if you if you saw it, yeah, like, you're looking at it, but you're, like, would you see your own reflection, or would you be, like, absent in the reflection? Well, it's reflection
5: like the, with- it's a story, like, the, the urban legend, like, the old lady that's putting the puzzle together. She finishes the puzzle, and it's a picture of her with the killer standing in the window. Yeah. It's like that, but it's anti.
2: See, the funny thing is, you, you're describing this, and the first thing I thought of was, like, the two-dimensional creature coming at them, and every time he tries to point someone else at it, it turns sideways and disappears, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
4: Like really goes in flatland, kind of thing. Yes, I mean, now yes. I'm not always interested in that. Like, how does the two-dimensional space work with the three? I know. Yeah. Not, I'm. I guess. I guess I'm not surprised no one's done that, and yet I think it's a good idea. Yeah. So, I don't know.
1: Very good. Always all for a screener to review on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If we make it, you
4: guys, you guys will be the first to hear. You know, it gets special. Appreciate things, it. You know, do
0: a good poster tagline. You rub one out, he rubs you out, or something. <laughs> yeah, <else>. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. No. No. I, I. I mean, I'm. I'm down. Like it's like you know, take something that would be like an asylum movie from like ninety eight, like level plot, you know, like a you know Evil Bong or something like that. But it's just, yes. yeah, but, but do it like, but do it like sincere. So it's just like yeah, the yeah. you know Evil hentai Tape or whatever. But you just like if you really did it for real, that'd probably be a good movie, you know. I'd watch it.
6: Well. We sort of covered the movie.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah so I, I'm glad
0: this discussion of, you know, as we were saying, one of the more more artistic anime, Space horror versus you know something like, you know, Lily Cat or Hell Target, and, and that we started really? with yeah. talking about its amazing credibility, and we ended its natural conclusion of hentai woods porn. So,
4: yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, this is anime. That's you know, we don't we don't promise that we won't go there, but you know, it tends to get there a lot of times when you you know talk long enough. So. I don't know. It's
0: been fun. Yeah. I, I hope you guys have had a good time. Cause yeah, we've, we've had a phenomenal time.
6: Absolutely.
5: Yeah. i always happy to talk anime. Cause as I said earlier, it's like, there's not many people I could talk to about it. So uh, I was certainly happy to take the opportunity.
0: Yeah. You guys are welcome on here. I, I was gonna, at one point I was thinking about asking you guys if you wanted to come on before we talked about this to do the, uh, I know you're fans of Hiroshi Nagahama, who did Flowers of Evil and Mushishi. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe they'll want to do like the Uzumaki adaptation, assuming it comes out this year. And now it's not
5: coming out this year. So
4: Right, right, right. Yeah, no, and that's, I mean, Uzumaki is one of our favorites, and we're very curious to see. I wore
5: my Junji Ito shirt. Oh, nice! I noticed. I, I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tomie, which Good will be one. getting the,
0: the Netflix adaptation soon. So. Is that happening? It's part of the uh, the new Netflix series he just announced, which is it's going to be a series of adaptations. Oh, okay. of Okay, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. An animation, not,
5: not related to the because
0: because back when what was the? It was the not the Ito project. What was it called? But the anthology one that they did of all his. Well, there stuff. was
5: that, but there was also what's his name? The French dude was going to do oh. one for what was the Aja what was the
6: stupid?
5: Or... It might have been Aja. What was the stupid phone app? They did the fifty states. of Fright. Oh, oh, Quibi. Quibi, yeah. There was a Quibi series that they were gonna do. I think with Aja that was Tony. Like there was gonna be a live. Wow, action really? Like wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Aja. But there was a live action series that they were gonna do, and I was, you know, kind of bummed because it was like, you know, we've been trying to do a Junji Ito thing forever, For years. Like, trying to get really? to something, anything. It, right, that,
4: Japanese rights are a nightmare. It getting like it, it, you can have everybody excited about something, but it, it. it it's a good system that they have that is provides a lot of respect to the creators of things, but it means that it's slow and it's indirect. So it's like, you know, you can want to do one of these things. I mean, that's why, that's why the projects like Katerik have lived in Hollywood for so long, because by the time somebody gets the rights, I think they they hang on to it as long as they can because it takes fucking years to do it, you know? Mm, yeah, so. yeah. One of these days, if we're lucky, one of these days, maybe we'll get a neat thing or something like that.
0: If you can transition from Hellraiser to Hellstar Ramina, that will make my day. Oh, <laughs> so, oh my God, <laughs>
4: Hey, it, they'll let us do it.
0: But no, this is, thank you guys so much. This has been fabulous. Wonderful. Obviously, we're going to plug the Hell Out of Sync ratios, but is there anything else you'd like to plug?
4: Uh, I mean, the Hellraiser comes out, as far as we know, in October so yes. uh, we don't have a lot of information about the nature of the release it's a it's a hulu film so at the very least it's going to be on hulu presumably in october but what in terms of other promotional stuff or things like uh, related to the we don't know a lot of the details but we're excited about it and we're excited for everybody to see it so uh you know, that's definitely something to keep your eyes open for. Excellent.
5: And, and Night House is on HBO Max right now. So and good. No.
1: I, I, we would be remiss if I didn't mention that The Nighthouse was maybe my favorite movie of last year. Yeah.
5: Oh, oh, that's so sweet of you to say. Awesome.
1: Fantastically well done. One of my favorite movies that felt like Cthulhu Mythos without being directly Cthulhu Mythos in a long time. And I just yep. adored it. And also, I just wanted to mention that... Um, Super Dark Times, I absolutely adored. It's one of the movies in the Pantheon that got me yelled at by my wife.
4: Oh. <laughs> oh, that's really cool.
1: Just because of the name. So she always gets on my case about listening to like depressing music or watching really dark stuff. And I remember her asking me what I was watching. I said, it's called Super Dark Times. And she thought I was making fun of her. <laughs> and, uh, but wonderful movie. Absolutely adored it. Oh, no,
4: thank so. you. No, we're really, that's, those Night and Super Dark Times are the two that are like, you know, the closest. I think, I mean, they're the closest to what we, envisioned when we wrote them in the, the movies that we had that we've made so far besides Hellraiser that we've had the kind of the closest experience with in that you know David Brockner is a very close friend of ours this is Kevin Phillips so with those two guys when we make movies it's it's a very uh personal thing typically so I'm glad to hear you guys really like them those those are the two that I think mean the most to us so so thank you
5: where's super dark times up right now I think Super Dark Times is it on Shudder? It's on Shudder. It's on Hulu. As well. Oh I can't
0: remember because I did watch it streaming at first, but then I I did pick up the DVD because I wanted to hear your commentary on it. But I can't remember where it's streaming.
1: I think I watched it like I rented it on Amazon when I watched it, so maybe okay. it's there.
4: Yeah, it's probably something, it's there. But yeah, Super Dark Times, Nighthouse, uh yeah. But yeah, thank you guys for having us. It was really fun. Fun to talk oh, to thank you. thank, you. For, thank so you so much for, much for coming. Be part of your friend group for a minute, you know, be part of the, the hang
1: absolutely
0: once again big big thanks to ben and luke for coming on the pod we had so much fun talking to them about all things anime oh i love the crap out of the fact i haven't decided yet you might just hear the ending theme of one of those anime we talked about at the end
2: of this episode
3: <laughs>
0: i have not i haven't decided yet but... I'm, I'm very worried which one you mean <laughs> oh
2: yeah it's that one
3: <laughs> no!
0: It might have certain something to do with someone whose name I might have redacted from the final episode, but I say again, you know who you are. (laughs) And we also know who you are. (laughs) But again, for Ben and Luke's stuff, and we touch on a little bit in the discussion, but like we mentioned at the top, since it's been a bit since we recorded it, I'll just run down real quick where you can find Ben and Luke's stuff, because I highly encourage you to watch all of it. Their movie, Super Dark Times, as of this recording, is on Shudder and Hulu. If you like it, go get the DVD. They have a fabulous commentary with director Kevin Phillips, uh, who's also on their podcast with him several times. And you're going to like it. Yeah, I love Super Dark Times. Uh, The movie Siren is currently on VOD. Same with Stephanie. Then The Night House is currently on HBO Max. And then Hellraiser is going to be debuting one week from when this episode comes out. So it'll be debuting on October the 7th. But the big thing is for, again, kind of the reason we asked him to come on is I'm a huge fan of Sync Ratios, their Evangelion podcast. It's fabulous. It's wrapped up. They've covered everything. They've done all the episodes of the show. They've done all the movies, the rebuilds, everything. So please, please, please go check out Sync Ratios wherever you get your pods.
1: And if you go and watch The Nighthouse, and I can't, so good. can't possibly recommend it enough. So good. Just maybe pour yourself a little stiff one beforehand and gird your <laughs> lawns, <'cause> it's <laughs> Buckle up. It is a, it is a journey. But again, absolutely worth it. One of the best horror movies to come out in, in recent memory. Just phenomenal film. It
2: definitely went directions I did not expect.
1: Yeah. And I, I would still call it one of the better cosmic horrors I've seen in a long time. It it had a distinct... We call a lot of things this, but there's a real Cthulhu-esque, Lovecraftian vibe to it, I thought. And I look forward to us covering on this. Maybe we can do that with Beach House and we can really get into cosmic horror and, look, you know... Love crafting stuff one of these days. Beach House, another very good
0: movie that has nothing to do with anything here. <laughs> I, I would love to do any of the movies I just mentioned. I like, I bet you yeah. I legitimately love Ben and Luke's stuff. Aside from their feature films, I'll mention this real quick. They have several shorts. Go track their shorts down. They're not hard to find. In particular, as you would have heard by now, there's an extended part of our conversation about Magnetic Rose, which turns into Woods porn, which <laughs> actually plays into one of their shorts, sort of, kind of. They have a short called Too Cool for School which is also directed by kevin phillips who directed super dark times Uh, i really liked too cool for school so go check that out i can't remember where i watched it i think it was vimeo but just google it you'll find it it's not hard to find
2: i swear vimeo has all the shorts they're just you know anytime you can't find a short somewhere it's on vimeo
0: yeah all all the indie directors and whatever yeah all their demo reels are on vimeo so it's Mm -hmm.
1: and and i'll say to our listeners if you have any interesting stories about wood porn like we just talked about Keep them to yourself. We don't want to hear it. (laughs) But know that we're with you, and we understand.
0: (laughs) You have to admit, with with Ben and Luke's next project being Hellraiser, it's like I guess us doing a largely porn discussion kind of fits. So, (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed it. What what what's their cat? We have such sights to show you. Have such sights to show you. I don't know if that line is repeated in the remake. So, as of this recording, the trailer is out. I haven't watched it aside from like the first five ten seconds. Because I want to go in as cold as I can, but... All I've seen is the the new Pinhead. And... Yeah, Jamie Clayton looks amazing. She's amazing. But yeah,
1: I, I look forward to our Hellraiser episode eventually, I think. I'm a little trepidatious about that, I have to admit. I, I watched like 10 minutes of a Hellraiser movie when I was a kid, and it scared the shit out of me. And so whenever I think about Hellraiser, I have like very vivid, scared the shit
0: out of me vibes. So I have an interesting history with the Hellraiser franchise, which because I started with one of the sequels. And I'll tell that story whenever we get to the franchise. But yeah, it's Hillary's. I, I love covering every franchise. We're currently in the middle of or on the back end of going through the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And I love Home doing stretch. all these franchises from start to finish. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, we're going to finish up uh, Freddy just in time to have another poll for uh, people to disappoint me with.
0: Absolutely. I'm excited. <laughs> they can deny you Halloween a second
2: time, <laughs>
0: like Peter. Three times they'll deny you, Jay, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then a fourth just to say they love you. <laughs> well, we we're gonna drop Nightmare off, so we have to replace it with another franchise. So, we'll see, maybe Hellraiser, maybe uh Child's Play is another possibility.
6: A lot out there. Ooh, yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, if anyone's looking, I would love to cover Child's Play. But if anyone's looking for Child's Play content immediately. Uh, The podcast Friends Till the End, which is Erica Henderson, who was so wonderful to talk to in our Dream Master review. She's on it with co-host Benito Sereno and Matt Wilson. That pod starts, they cover season one of Chucky, episode by episode, and then to fill the time in between season one and two, they ended up doing the movies, and now that they've done all the movies, as a lead into season two of Chucky, their newest episode is on the movie Bound because so many of the cast members abound are actually going to be in season two of Chucky. I mean, Jennifer Tilly's obvious, but there's more folks coming up. So I, I love friends till the end. So absolutely go check out that podcast. So yeah, I would love to cover the child's play franchise ourselves, but speaking of magnetic Rose, I would just love to do more anime on this pod. Cause I had such a fun time prepping for this discussion yeah. and it was so much fun talking about a Satoshi Kone and Katsuhiro Otomo project and, all these other amazing creators who worked on it. I've got a lot of notes that of stuff we didn't even touch on, but I kind of want to let our conversation with Ben and Luke just be what it is, ending beautifully, as it should have with Hentai Woodsborn. So um, <laughs> I'm not going to get too much into additional notes because a lot of the notes I have are going to be stuff that's going to come up in other Satoshi Kone stuff. For instance, if you haven't watched it in a while or if you've just seen it, one fun thing to do if you're a Satoshi Kone fan is go back and look at Magnetic Rose's use of reflection imagery, How the banquet is reflected in miguel's visor miguel when he's rooting through ava's jewelry and her arm wire he's reflected in the mirror it's like a pov shot heinz seeing his daughter emily briefly in the hall mirror i mention all this for just a couple points one is from an animation standpoint it's really impressive yeah what they pulled off visually here two it's a really fun manifestation of the thematic undercurrent of you know trapped in the past that runs through magnetic rows but three the reflection imagery is very, very important to Perfect Blue. Yes, it is. Which is a movie I definitely want to cover on the pod at some point. Uh, you can check it out yourself now on Shudder. I'd love to do Paranoia Agent. I'd love to do a lot of Satoshi Kon stuff. There's another anime we talked about possibly doing with Ben and Luke at some point. We're going to do it because I went down a weird-ass rabbit hole for that, and I... I need to make it mean something. <laughs> and whenever that episode comes out, you'll understand what I mean. You can argue two weird rabbit holes, but one big rabbit hole.
1: Look, I, the work I put in to get a community connection on that one was.
0: Oh yeah. 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 Okay. I need to, ha- I need to be able to put that out into the universe. So we'll make it happen. I don't know when, but we're going to, I'm not letting that one go, but yeah, this episode just made me happy. We've got to geek out about anime for 90 minutes. Ben and Luke are fabulous again. Go watch their stuff if you haven't already. Please, please, please go check out Sync Ratios, especially if you're an Evangelion fan. It really is. I said in the chat with Ben and Luke, but as an Ava fan, it's, it's everything I would want in a podcast. But yeah, this just made me happy getting to do space horror and anime in the same episode. So yeah, this episode was a delight.
1: Absolutely. And as we said at the beginning, remember the recording with them was done... In happier days. So. Halcyon don't, days.
6: Don't, don't hold the, 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 the beginning see. and end against us. <laughs>
0: Before Constantine. <laughs> Before the sundering. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I really hope you've enjoyed listening to this. Because we certainly had a blast recording it. And we just appreciate you taking the time to listen. As always, we appreciate the support. Just real quickly mention, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, our coffee is on sale for just... That day, September 30th, 2022, is the last day our coffee's on sale, so head over to Rootless Coffee for that. But otherwise, if you want to follow us on social media, we're at Scary Stuff Podcast on Instagram. We're at Scary Stuff Pod on both Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can just go to our website, ScaryStuffPodcast.com. But if you like this episode, if you want to leave us a review on whatever your preferred pod platform is, that'd be great.
1: We really appreciate it. We appreciate every review and every listen. So by all means, if you can, it's great.
0: Yeah, we say it all the time in all the episode descriptions, but really, we we can't thank everyone enough for their support. It means a lot to us. We
1: love you all! Well, not Jer, but (laughs) everybody else. (laughs) Who? He he doesn't listen anyway, so it doesn't (laughs) matter.
0: Well, hopefully he's going to listen to one we've got coming up, but (laughs) later in October. But before we get to that, our next one, so we mentioned at the top that, you know, we're still working through the back end of the Elm Street franchise, and we're finally getting back to it. Our next episode after this one, there's going to be a week off, Probably. And then so hopefully around two weeks after this, thereabouts, we will have our episode on Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And if you follow us on Twitter, you've already seen that our guest for that episode is Cynthia Palayo, who is an amazing author, is the author of the book Children of Chicago, which recently got licensed for film. Her new poetry collection, Crime Scene, is going to be coming out around the same time. As that episode it's coming out from raw dog screaming press so absolutely go check that out we talk about it more in the new nightmare review but Cynthia's fabulous that's another terrific discussion Cynthia is an enormous Freddy Krueger and Elm Street fan so it was really really special to get her on before we got to the remake
3: <laughs>
0: indeed but that being said, yeah, we're really excited for what we've got coming up. We announced our October lineup on Twitter. We're excited for all of it, but thank you so much for listening. So we'll be back soon with Elm Street content. In the meantime, this is Eric signing off, saying thanks again. This is Jake saying love dub
2: This is Nick saying goodnight, everybody.
6: So don't.